the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, it's Thursday. We're going to start our show. Uh, Listen to some hard audio from Shaquille O'Neal reflecting upon his friend Kobe Bryant. You are listening to The Common Good. Welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today on this Thursday afternoon. I think we decided a long time ago, Thursday's your day, your favorite day. You bring it up every Thursday. That's why. I'm trying to make, I'm trying to speak it into existence. But it already exists. exists. Yeah. Mind blown. <laughs> that was easier than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> wow, wow. You can find us on Facebook. All the stuff we've talked about, you can find it on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, Twitter at Common Good Talk. You can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, review, subscribe, rate. Wow. Or mind blown. <laughs> We've done it to each other in the first two minutes. Brian, why do we drive on a parkway and park on a driveway? Is, that is one time I did all of those to my kids and they're staring at me like, Dad, just stop. <laughs> hey, what do you mean all of those? There's a whole list of those that are like that one where it's like, why do we do this and do this? on this? And they're like, stop. Like everyone's saying peace, peace. I but, can't. But there is no peace. <laughs> Until. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> So, uh, hard right turn here. Uh, I don't know. The other night, um, you know, we've talked a lot about the Kobe Bryant uh, tragedy over the last couple of days. Uh, and I thought we'd probably be done talking about it. But then the other night, I don't know if you saw any of it, but uh, Tuesday night, I think it was, on TNT, which does the NBA, uh, they showed a game, the Celtics and the Heat. But then after the game, before the game, but then what I saw was after the game for almost an hour or two, yeah. uh, the normal people, Ernie Johnson, Kenny Smith, Charles Barkley, Shaquille O'Neal, uh, and then Dwayne Wade was there, and then they kind of brought in other people through the time to just reflect upon what has happened this week with Kobe Bryant. And, you know, Shaquille O'Neal, he famously uh, won championships with Kobe Bryant. Like, they're linked together forever. And... Uh, I can't tell you. It's the best TV I've seen in a long time. Yeah, that's what you were saying. uh, Because it was like watching the entire grieving process. The stories were phenomenal. But then it was just like it wasn't famous basketball players talking. It was like Hmm. friends trying to process what had happened. Hmm. And by the end, they were in tears like the whole time. But by the end, they were laughing to the point one of them said, this is the first time I've laughed since Sunday. Mm -hmm. It was just something really fascinating. And it was really good. But one of the parts that really stood out and was most heartbreaking and most challenging uh, was when Shaquille O'Neal, again, who is most closely tied to Kobe Bryant, when he spoke through tears and kind of how he's processing what happened. So let me let you hear that and then we'll talk about it. And my other nephew comes in crying and he shows me his phone and I snapped at him. I said, man, get that out of my face. Just get it away from me. You know, we live in a world where anything can be photoshopped, anything can be hoaxed. I didn't want to believe it. And then I got the call from you, Charles, Kenny, 
everybody called me. And then we found out it was confirmed. We up here, we work a lot. And I think a lot of times we, we, we take stuff for granted. Like, I don't talk to you guys as much as I, as much as I need to. The fact that uh, we're not going to be able to joke at his Hall of Fame ceremony, those are the things that you, you can't get back. I wish I could just say something to him again. And he, if you could see the video of this, he's just crying. And yeah. there's something powerful about seeing someone who's like that larger than life, you know, seven feet two, just crying right there. But his words and, and the, his despair, because uh, he goes on to basically say him and Kobe had really become a lot closer because they famously did not get along at the end and to the point they had to trade Shaq. Right. It was bad. Yeah, it was um, bad. Right. But they they have gotten much more reconciled text a lot and stuff but he in this conversation you one thing that stood out to me was it's been years since they've actually physically talked hmm. and Shaquille O'Neal basically said it's just because I always thought he'd be there and like right. we, he, he, you heard him there say uh, what, what I've realized through this is how much time I work and and now all I wish I could do is call him and talk and yeah. I just assumed we'd see each other at Kobe's going to the Hall of Fame this year I assumed we'd see each other there and we joke around and uh, and then he's turning to his friends there, Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith, Ernie Johnson, going, like, I don't see you guys enough. I don't talk to you enough because I'm constantly working at all these different projects and yeah. this and that. Uh, that regret, it, it hit me so hard watching it because mm. I was like, uh, there are certain people in my life that if they if something tragically happened to them right now, I'd have to say the same thing and yeah, go, right. I always meant to call them. Mm-hmm. I always meant to figure out a way to drive and see them. But you always think there's tomorrow. And it was just uh, uh, the suddenness of what happened to Kobe. And then with his, you know, with the with the girls and, and the and everyone else on that plane like that's, you know, that's still so burdensome. But now to hear friends talking and this kind of reflection going on, I found it captivating and powerful and again, really challenging to myself going, I don't want to end up like that. Right. With some of the people close to me, I don't I don't want to end up in that spot. So what changes have you made? I mean, I only watched it like 36 hours ago, but yeah. I think, you know, what's been really fascinating is um, also in a lot of the coverage, I've been obsessed with watching the coverage. I'm sure that'll wear off soon, but a lot of it, people are going, when I heard about it within the first 12 hours, I called X to yeah, tell them right, I love them. Right, right, right. I called this person to apologize. Mm-hmm. I go, there is something about, uh, and it's not like Kobe like got up on a stage before, like he was dying of a disease and said, hey, right honor me by doing this it just was this huge wake-up call of all these people going oh my goodness yeah like, i haven't talked to right. my brother or my friend or right. i hold this grudge against my you know sister whatever else it might be and uh you know i've got some ideas of some people i want to reach out to and just be like hey let's catch up you know right. not call and be like hey man since kobe died i want to talk you know but right. like just hey right. it's been like I feel shooken up on some way. Some goes, okay, yeah, no, this kind of thing reminds you of priorities. Right. kind of wake you up. And so uh, I think it's a really helpful thing. And it's sad that tragedy is what often wakes us up to these things. It seems like it's almost the only thing. It does. To be honest, you know, we, you and I have both talked about some of the difficulty of being a pastor means that you're often officiating funerals. Mm-hmm. And that, for me, often shakes me up uh, and names will pop into my head. And I, I don't know that. I'm much better at it. I hope that I am. Even things as simple as a text message. Because honestly, sometimes uh, a name will pop into my head and I'll grab my phone to text them. 
And I'm like, that's weird. Mm. Just text them out of the blue like that. Yeah. I don't want to. Sometimes I just won't because I don't want to. You know what I mean? Like that's yep. super embarrassing to admit. But like, oh, that's out of the blue. Like sometimes even men in particular tend to really struggle yeah. with a. Hey, just thinking about you text Yeah, for whatever dumb reason we don't do that. It is weird how we're all aware of this fragility, yep. right? Yep. But we live like we're not, like mm-hmm. it's not there, which is probably an indictment on a lot of things, yes. right? And it's not just a matter of our mortality, but a lot of us, you know, we've talked about it. We've used it in sermons. I've never heard anyone on their deathbed say, I wish I had worked just a little bit more. Yes. So we can use that in a sermon and then return right work back more. to our, yeah, we go right back to our workaholism. It's yeah. like, oh, okay. So that thing could be true. And yet we also don't, you know what I mean? It's yep. no one ever anticipates to live a life like that. We drift mm-hmm. into it or out of it. And uh, it's that drift that I think is so dangerous. It's the, it's the starkness of things like this. Do, do kind of snap us out of it. And it's not really that profound of a takeaway, but you know, you, we've been saying it kind of all week long. Like, exactly. Stop putting off the thing, especially the relational thing that you know that you should do the phone yep. call that you need to make the email you need to write. Just hit pause, have the courage to actually do it. And I, you know, I'm speaking to myself here. It's too, really good. Way. I just thought of something when you said that random text Sunday, probably an hour before I ever saw on Twitter that Kobe Bryant had died. So yeah. it wasn't because of this. Hmm. Sunday afternoon, I was sitting on my couch and got a really random text hmm. message from my best friend back in New Jersey. Oh, no kidding. And it was about something, but it wasn't like anything serious. Yeah. And when I saw his name come up, I was like, like genuinely happy. Right. Yeah. And like, and he you, would be, it just made me the same thing. It just made me think of that when you're like, yeah, do I send this text? I, right. I saw his name come. I was like, Oh, okay. And it was like this immediate reconnection. Totally. And that wasn't cause that was an hour before this wow. happened. And yeah, I well, and, I, and I don't want to get all, you know, charismatic or whatever yeah. on it, but I, I honestly think that the Holy spirit really does prompt things yeah, like that, that, that nudge, the seemingly out of blue, like why did that name just pop into my head? Just, Le- lean into it. Yeah, gosh. We spend so much time pump faking all the time. Just That's good. go for it. That's good. Well, uh, you can listen to that audio or all over the internet. Probably find it on our Facebook page at the Common Good Radio Show. Coming up next, an article at Christianity Today about uh, a, a pastor's journey from kind of rock bottom, uh, his testimony, and the interesting people God used along the way. That's coming up next here on the Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Thursday afternoon. You're waving at us, so I want everyone to know Ian's waving to you. Mm, hi, everybody. He's excited that you're listening. I don't understand how radio works. <laughs> Why is nobody waving back to me right now? <laughs> I do the same thing in sermons. Just w- Hello. Wave to people. Hi, hi everyone. Is that, are you listening? Are you listening? Can you sleep out there? Okay, we never actually say it like that, but do you have like ticks when you give sermons? Like, you tracking? Does that make sense? Do you like? Do you have go to? Are you with me? Statements. So the closest thing I have to this, it's so funny you said, "Are you tracking?" That is like the Matt Chandler, right? Like, have you ever listened? I to think it's a Rob Bell. It's also Matt Chandler. Matt Chandler. If you listen to Chandler enough of him, you realize all the time he's like, "Are you tracking? Are, really? are you tracking with me?" Oh, interesting. Um, but. Uh, the closest I have to that is I will frequently, when I want to make a point, like try to say like, hey, this is for us. I will frequently either say brothers and sisters. Oh, you mentioned this. Yes. I'm like, so brothers and sisters. And every now and then I'm like, I don't talk like that. Right. Like, I'm like, all right, friend, like friends or brothers and sisters. What about yourself? Sorry, I'm just imagining you like out to dinner with like three other couples and everyone's having a conversation and then you just go. 
brothers and sisters, brothers I have some sisters. news. I'd be like, what? <laughs> Is your brain okay? Yeah, I, I unfortunately probably, I don't want to out myself. People are going to just outed me. That's true. But no one asked you to. Well, I asked you, you to. You asked, yeah, and that's I true. said, okay. Uh, I probably say, are you tracking? You do. Uh-huh. I think I also say, uh, recently I've been saying, like, does that resonate with anyone? Like, oh, like I can if see I, you saying like that. Like, reading a quote, like, does anyone else relate to that? Yep, like, yep. I, I do a show of hands way too much. Oh, even if, even okay. if I don't say show of hands. Okay. Like, does anyone else feel that way? <laughs> just raise your hand. Yeah, just me. I think homeschooling has prepared me for this. Anyone else? I'm the only one? Great. Okay. <laughs> I mean, early on when I listened to lots of Mark Driscoll sermons, I just heard yelling at people. So I was like, no, no, i got to stop that. Well, but so, I did feel like that's why I know Chandler says, uh, or at least used to always say, are you tracking? Yeah. Because I was listening to him a lot. And then in a sermon one time, I said, are you tracking with me? I was like, whoa, Whoops. whoa, yep. you to diversify who I'm listening to. And did you do the, the arm motion where it looks like a fish swimming upstream? He is good like at that. that. Yeah. He's, he listened to some Francis channels. So you're just throwing your arms up all the time. This is so <laughs> inside baseball right now. This, <laughs> We're going to do a whole segment just imitating our favorite podcast preachers. There you go. On the radio. That's a really terrible idea. It's awful. <laughs> it's awful. Uh, anyway, Christianity Today, a, a fascinating article I was looking at. I'd love to know your opinion on it. It says, what do Bill Maher, Donald Miller, and John Piper have in common? Great hair. This is written. <laughs> oh, you weren't actually asking me? Okay, sorry. <laughs> but my, my answer stands. <laughs> that got me right there. <laughs> a guy by the name of John Joseph. He is a lead pastor of Cheverly Baptist Church in uh, Maryland, Bladensburg, Maryland. And he writes at Christian Today, and it's, it's, uh, it's really his testimony. And it's a fascinating read. Uh, about how he really fell away from the Lord uh, and and really got into some dark places. He began selling drugs and all sorts of other stuff. Uh, and then, well, now he's a pastor. So what is this, um, what, what got him from where he was to where he is? And he shares his story and he talks about three important people or, or times in his life. He talks about in 2008, somebody giving him Blue Like Jazz, the book written by Donald Miller. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he talks about in 2009 renting the documentary by Bill Maher called Religious. What was it called? Religious? Yeah, saw it in the theaters. Kind of religion plus ridiculous, right? That was mm-hmm. the concept. Yep. Uh, and he said his objections to Christianity caught my attention because they called into question some of the core doctrines uh, that that he had been wrestling with. And so that caused him to go online and and um, Google Christian debate. And he found Ravi Zacharias. Mm-hmm. And so he started listening to Ravi Zacharias. And then he talks also about... Also great hair. Sorry. There go you on. go. There is a theme here. <laughs> and then he talks about... Kind of when he says, quote, unquote, the chains fell off, is he learned about a preacher named John Piper, uh, and he started listening to Piper sermons, particularly one that Piper preached on John 3.16. And so uh, the author's point is this. It's, man, look at God's grace in my life. And um, but look at that. Bill Maher, Donald Miller, Ravi Zacharias, John Piper. And he goes. He's basically looking back over his own life and going, that's a crazy conglomeration of good-haired people <laughs> that God used in order to bring me back. And uh, <laughs> I just think this is a, it, it is a cool story because all of our stories are so different of the people God places in our life and the people we come across. And I really love that. And just the title, Bill Maher, Donald Miller, and John Piper, what do they have in common? It's kind of the way often a lot of testimonies and stories work, isn't it? Yeah, and I think, too, to go back to the good hair, Brian, um, <laughs> Luke 12, I believe. We are off the rails today, man. <laughs> when Dr. Luke speaks of God knowing the very hairs on our head, I think 
that people with good hair, the implication there is that God knows them better because it takes longer to count those hairs. <laughs> so, so, so God has spent more time with them. And therefore, the closeness and intimacy that that good-haired person experiences. <laughs> the, gal- the bald guy. God's like, zero. <laughs> God's like, who that? New number. No, that's not true. I actually, it's a, it's a well-written article, too. And it I, it's, we were just having this conversation in the office a couple of days ago how uh, I think it's really important for anyone, but particularly church leaders, to look over their shoulder at some of even um, the journey of who they've read and yeah. who they listen to. Because who I was listening to when I first started preaching is very different Absolutely. than who I'm listening to now. Not for any specific – well, that's not true. <laughs> some, some for some specific reasons. Right. But to but, recognize like, wow, God uh, used people that I now would maybe pretty passionately disagree with as like one more – you know, a little more watering on that seed. And I think that's, that's probably true for all of us. Yeah. And it does, I think, help give a little bit of grace to – you know, we're, we're like deeply steeped in this cancel culture yeah, and this yeah. tribalism and we're getting more and more hunkered down and isolated in our like very esoteric, specific, myopic teams, you yeah, know, and I yeah. think it is really helpful. And I want to continue to grow in that regard. We've talked about it in previous shows, like how many women theologians am I yeah. reading right now? How, yeah. how many men and women of color am I yeah. reading? Like, it's really easy to like, I only read people <clears throat> from this stream or right. this strand. And I think... That's part of what uh, I think his challenge is a little bit. Like, hey, let's be mindful even of the the steps along the journey. And uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's really important. I do too. And and it's just uh, you know sometimes I think um, when we don't look back, we think that that transformation or, or come into faith is just so linear, right? Like uh, I go to here and then I read this book and right. then somebody disciples me and then I this and and I think these stories remind us it's it's uh, it's it's rarely linear and often unique uh and he's going you know i wouldn't suggest everybody come to faith by watching bill maher and reading donald yeah, miller right. and then zaravi zacharias right, and then right. john it's not Piper. a prescription uh but you could probably line up you know 10 people obviously and you're going to get 10 different stories not only of right. how long it took or what happened but also the influences in their life yeah uh whether it be books preachers parent whatever else it might be and i think that's always helpful like sometimes we could freak out like what, you're watching Bill Maher, like you, or what you're doing this, but just remember right, that right. these can be tools that even end up pointing us back to Jesus, and I think that's a really helpful reminder. And it's not even uh, like specific speakers or messages. Yeah. You know, like in my last church, we had um, we called it uh, melodrama, justice, just dessert. We had all this property, and so we had this big tent, and we would do this uh, theater every summer, and it would, we'd run like two weekends or whatever. Wow. It, was, uh, it was really, really fun. It was really special. And there were a number of people that were a part of that church community because they had attended this cool. theater for like eight years. Wow. So like I, my interaction was so it was for two hours once a year and the love and care of this community just sort of changed my heart. So you can mm. think like, oh, man, we're just doing theater and maybe you think what that's we inconsequential, yeah, right? Yeah. But there are people who are like living testimonies like, no, I would never have set foot inside a church. But my interactions with this little theater thing you guys did actually really began to transform that's my cool. heart. And I think, yeah, you never know what that what seed that's watering. I just think that's that's an important uh, perspective shift. Yeah. And I think ask people their stories. I think yeah. stories are fascinating of uh, how people come to faith and uh, the journey that that is. So. Uh, You can read that one at our Facebook page. Coming up next, we're going to talk to an author by the name of uh, Bethany Jett. Going to talk to her about her book coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.
Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here, and after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was, and it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, We are thrilled to be joined on the phone uh, by Bethany Jett. Bethany is one of the co-authors of a book called Platinum Faith and uh, is calling us from sunny Tampa, Florida. So, Bethany, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for letting me be here. Absolutely. So uh, before we get into the book, you wrote it with uh, Michelle Medlock-Adams, and you told us off-air that she is your best friend. I'm curious what it's like to write a book uh, as two good friends. Is that, uh, does that help the friendship or hurt the friendship? <laughs> well, it made our friendship stronger, for sure. Good. There were moments where we thought, can we really do this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we were able to, like dig in really deep in our faith together through this, so we came out on the other end stronger. So that, this was a positive win. <laughs> Good. That's awesome. Good. And your book is called Platinum Faith, and it, it's a fascinating pr- uh, premise uh, behind, you know, kind of some of the characteristics of platinum, and how do those kind of equate to our faith? Why don't you tell us a little bit, not just about the book, but how did you guys come up with that idea? Okay, well, Michelle and I are both blondes. So most people think when they hear platinum that it came from our hair. <laughs> but uh, we actually co-own um, an editing and ghostwriting business together, and it is called Platinum Literary Services. Mm. And so we were thinking top shelf, you know, um, mm. elite. But I did think about our hair color, too. Uh, but we started looking, <laughs> looking to... What platinum is as a metal, it mm-hmm. just became clear that it is so much more than jewelry. It is incredible, actually. And so we named our company after the characteristics of platinum. And then at one night at like 2 a.m., we're at a writer's conference, and she texts me and says, hey, you know that pitch meeting we have tomorrow with an editor that we don't have an idea for? <laughs> 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 wow. Like, what if we do platinum space? And just take the same characteristics and apply it to our faith journey. So we were up for another hour just texting back and forth the kind of the chapter components on how it would work. Hmm. And um, the editor did not like our pitch. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but, we were, <laughs> yeah. but we were able to sell it um, just a few months later to another house. And they caught the vision. And it kind of was a whirlwind after that. No kidding. All right. So I'm, I'm reading here that you have an allergy that 
requires you to wear gloves most of the time. I, I'm curious. Can you tell us a little bit more about that allergy? But, but uh, secondly, what do you say to people who their faith is tested through their own kind of difficult challenges? Yes. So um, who who would think you could get an allergy as an adult? <laughs> yeah, right. Not when you were little. But um, so I just, my, the skin on my fingers started getting really dry. And I was thinking eczema or, mm-hmm. you know, just something. And that's what the doctor thought, too. And it wasn't until three years in dealing with it that the God just gave me the perfect doctor who helped me figure out exactly what it was. And it's an allergy to colophony, which hmm. I had never heard of. Hmm. And basically, it's pine resin, and it's used in paper manufacturing, stickers, ink, anything that waterproofs, magazine covers, band-aids, like, basically everything in life. Wow. <laughs> wow. And um, so it's only when I touch it, like nothing internal or anything. So wow. um, that's caused a problem as an off. Yeah. Yeah, right. But paper and books, you know. Um, so someone said to me one day that, she said, I'm not surprised that Satan attacked your hands mm. as an author and writer. And I thought, interesting. What if we start looking at the trials in our life as maybe obstacles because that's where God has a purpose for us? So just kind of spinning the the obstacle in a way that says, okay, maybe there's something there that I need to pursue. Because obviously it's an annoyance and People deal with much worse, you know, health issues than mm-hmm, right. touching paper, you know, scary paper. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I think, you know, I think that God can work through it. Yeah. And so I've just started suggesting to people, you know, maybe God's purpose for you is directly related to where the enemy is attacking you. Mm. And maybe keep an eye out for that. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. What uh, this whole concept of platinum metal? Uh, what are just some of the elements of platinum metal that you highlight in your book and you equate to the to our faith in Christ? Okay, so we have some favorites. Um, platinum is a very useful metal. I think it's maybe even one of the first characteristics we talk about in the book because platinum we think of with jewelry because it's so it's such a hard metal that it protects it. But it's also used, I think, in like 75 or 80 percent of everyday items. Mm. It's in smoke detectors, actually, oh, wow. and cancer-fighting drugs, and catalytic converters for the car. And in that chapter, we, we talk about how sometimes we want our purpose in life to be the shiny platinum that's mm. on jewelry, but it's often the areas that God calls you that are quieter behind the scenes the thankless job sometimes um, where he wants you to be just like a smoke detector. Like we don't think about it. We take it for granted, right. but it saves lives when it's working and when it's doing what it's supposed to do. Wow. And just, and just thinking about how that relates to our faith is we're being used by God, even if we're not being the shiny flashy person at the moment. And that can be hard. That can be hard sometimes. You know? Yeah. Right. So one of the things that uh, I actually really appreciate because this is a theme that's come up a lot on our show is the difference between being responsive and reactive. And I'm sure our audience will be shocked that sometimes people are just reactive, sometimes to a really (laughs) detrimental degree. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between being responsive and reactive and what maybe a healthy way forward looks like? So this is one of the chapters that Michelle and I still talk about you know, in our own faith walks that we're dealing with every day. It's, I think it's one of the most practical ones um, to learn, and we're still learning from it. 
But the platinum as a metal is unreactive. So it can be near other compounds and not change itself, basically. Hmm. And um, in life, you know, if we react to a situation, a lot of times that doesn't give God a chance to, to work in the situation because we've bypassed the time to pray or think about it and respond in a way that is, you know, Christ-like um, or that won't cause problems down the road. And so, you know, we talked about this yesterday. In fact, you know, mm. I'm working on, you know, responding, not reacting and taking time to not shoot off an email or post a comment on social media, but just kind of bringing God into some of those decisions. Uh, so with like the last minute we have left her, so I'm just curious, never having written a book, when it's out there, like what's your hope for this book? What do you, uh, you've put this out there, people are going to read it. Uh, what do you hope this book accomplishes for people? We want people to know that the faith, your faith journey is a journey. And so it's not about being perfect. And it's not that we're saying we'll ever have platinum faith, but maybe we can try to get there. And so some of the characteristics you might be really strong in, but some might be areas you need to work in. That's how we see it for ourselves. And, yeah. and just that you're not alone on this journey and, and just want to be an encouragement as we, you know, start to be more like Jesus. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. You've been listening to Bethany Jett. Uh, she, along with her friend, Michelle Medlock Adams wrote platinum faith. I'm sure we can get it at Amazon. Are there any other places you could point us to where we could follow you guys or get the book or follow you on Twitter? What else can we, where else can we find you? Okay, so we both love social media. We actually have our own website, but we combined one as well to make it easier. So um, you can find us both at michelleandbethany.com. Michelle oh, really? And how, did yeah. you, how did you secure michelleandbethany.com? <laughs> that That's amazing. Well. <laughs> we, we could not believe it was available. <laughs> there you go. Well, Bethany Jett, thank you so much. Great luck on the book. We hope it sells a ton, and uh, we appreciate you taking the time with us today. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Have a great day. Uh, You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us today. Uh, Before we jump into this article from Christianity Today about living as missionaries in the suburbs, I want to tell you about In Touch Ministries. The new year, it's underway, and our friends at In Touch Ministries want to bless you uh, with a complimentary... Complimentary. I did it. Hey, I stared at the I, word and, and I, I saw it coming. Hey, it's a non egalitarian <laughs> calendar. <laughs> this calendar has multiple roles, same value, equal giftedness, <laughs> different but roles. hierarchically. Hurry Oh, gosh. <laughs> You've caught the bug. Oh. As long as it's not a Christianity. In Touch Ministries wants to bless you with a complimentary wall calendar called Blessed to Be the Church, featuring Charles Stanley's original photography of churches from around the world, an inspirational Bible verse from Jesus's Sermon on the Mount and a motivational quote from Dr. Stanley accompany each photo. Get yours today. Absolutely free at 1160hope.com slash contest. And everyone who signs up will be entered to win a copy of the Charles Stanley Life Principles Bible. So sign up today at 1160hope.com slash contest. That is 1160hope.com slash Contest. Nicely done. Thank you. At ChristianityToday.com, uh, there's this article entitled Judea, Suburbia to the Ends 
of the earth. Oh, I see what they did there. Yeah, it is taking the call for us to take the gospel and trying to say, hey, uh, the suburbs can be a really unique and difficult place to be. And you and I both live in the suburbs. And what makes it difficult? Uh, the, I think there are some rhythms to the suburbs that make community difficult, right? Like we, yeah. uh, we tend, we've got our own. Uh, I actually can't park my car in our garage, but most of us can pull. <laughs> Same. Our, I most can't. of us can pull our cars into our garage. And, oh, that sounds so nice. I know, doesn't it? Uh, and you go right into your house. Most of us, you know, spend more time in our backyards than our front yards, and kind of have fences. And it becomes easy, especially in the winter time, to become very isolated. It's kind of the uh, one of the draws of the suburbs for people. Uh, but that makes it uh, difficult uh, to make connections with people and to connect. Uh, I would talk about a book that came out, I don't know, five, six, no, ten, over ten years ago. Uh, there was a book that I just loved called Death by Suburbs. Oh, I'm looking at it right now. That's so funny. Are you looking at Death yeah, by Suburbs? Yeah, I was going to read the description. So one of the good things about Death by Suburbs is written by a guy that I knew uh, who lives what? in Wheaton. You knew him? Yeah, he lived next door or across the street from the old pastor at Glenn Bible Church where I work. Wow. And so a lot of the stories are like Wheaton, Glen Ellen. So you kind of start to know a lot of the places. How do you say his last name? I don't even remember his name. Uh, Dave Goetz. Goetz. Uh, Getz. Oh, man. Yes, we should. <laughs> but it is spelled that way. So. Okay, thanks. All right, we've, we've given him props. I think we should have him on the show. That, that would be great. Can I read the description Please. of the book it's real quick? It's a fabulous book. I would encourage you to read it if you've never heard of I've it. I've only read pieces. So it's, okay. it's called Death by Suburbs, uh, How to Keep the Suburbs from Killing Your Soul, which some people will be like, amen. Other people are like, wait, what's wrong with the suburbs? Exactly. So you know, but uh, it says a great number of seekers find themselves in the seemingly unreal world of the suburbs. They read spirituality books but find themselves in carpools and coaching soccer, not in monasteries. Dave, shoot, how do you say it again? Gets. Dave Gets, a former pastor, shows that the suburbs are a real world but a spiritually corrosive one. Whoa. The land of SUVs and soccer leagues can truly be toxic to the soul. Suburbanites need to understand how the environment affects them and what spiritual disciplines are needed for their faith to survive and thrive. Getz identifies eight toxins in the suburban life, such as hyper-competition and the transactional friendship, and suggests eight corresponding uh, disciplines to keep the spiritual life authentic. Getz weaves sociological studies, his own experience, current events, wisdom of the spiritual masters, and a little humor to equip spiritual suburbanites for how to relate to God amid Starbucks, strip malls, and perfect lawns. That sounds... Phenomenal. And especially if you live in the suburbs, I think it's, uh, yeah. it's not only a good book for you to go through, but I can see small groups going through this. It's it's really good. Oh, right on. All right, let's have them on. Let's, let's, let's not right now. But let's speak it into reality. <laughs> let's call them right now as we're talking. Uh, You're his buddy. But yeah, right. But this, uh, it, she says the same thing. The author here, Ashley Hale, says most of us in America live rather ordinary lives in the suburbs. Our days are more often filled with driving children to soccer in our minivans than sharing the gospel with unbelievers. Rather than building houses for the poor, we join the PTA. We go to church and wonder. Uh, maybe when we hear missionaries speak, if we somehow missed our calling, if we're not in full time vocational ministry, if we're not missionaries and if we're not a key leader in our local congregation, how do we connect the dots between what we say we believe and the lives we live? If we're not doing, quote, big things for God, is there a way to live gospel centered, outward focused lives in the suburbs? She mm-hmm. goes on to say the suburbs aren't a second rate mission field. They are for many of us the place to which we've been called the place we are to love and serve and a place where we can live as missionaries right in the spe- small spaces of our ordinary lives in our cul-de-sacs. Suburbia is a strategic mission field. And so hmm. as a pastor in the suburbs, uh, how would you answer even some of those questions she puts out there? Like, okay, the, 
how do you best uh, live out your faith and even uh, share your faith within the kind of suburban culture that we are a part of? Man, I wish we had so much more time for this. Yeah. I have a, a whole bunch of thoughts. So we're in Naperville. Yes. I'm in Downers Grove. So, you're in Downers yep, Grove. So yep. some similar kind of environment. Yep. One of the things that I found so challenging about the suburbs, as opposed to a lot of inner city environments where I've been, mm-hmm. is in the suburbs, people really do often convince themselves that they don't have any need, mm-hmm. that there are no, there's no brokenness. There's no, and I talked about this, uh, I think it was here, and we host the TEDx Naperville Conference. Yeah. And uh, that's right at the yellow box. And the guy was talking about the secret opioid crisis in the suburbs and how a lot of our kids are getting stuff delivered right to their house in an Amazon box and then ODing in their room. And so often the struggles, the brokenness, the core is still the same, but it's like hidden behind really nice houses and really fancy jobs. And one of the things that is so, I'm so humbled to, as a pastor, sometimes be invited into like the real brokenness of humanity, but sometimes it still kind of catches me off guard where, you know, I'll meet someone who by every external metric is insanely successful and comes across super confident. And then when it's just you and them, it's like, I have a loveless marriage. I have no confidence in my skill. My kids hate me and I don't know what my purpose is. Right. You're like, what? Yeah. I never would have guessed that. And I'm not, it's not apples and oranges, but sometimes it is the, Shiny velour, velour, veneer, veneer. Uh, I do like velour. <laughs> yeah, you're like, where is he going with this? Um, Who wears shiny velour? <laughs> but and I know that we're smarter than this, but so often we like buy the smoke screen. They're like, well, he drives that car, or yes. she has, lives in this house, so they're probably fine. We know that's not true, but I think we can we can get really good at convincing ourselves that we are the sum of our mm-hmm. external realities. And I think the suburbs has a way of, of really propping that up sometimes. Yeah, it's really well put. This article is going to go on to talk about community and hospitality. It's going to say that people are lonely in the suburbs and, and that simple, ordinary hospitality in this crazy world we all live in, a crazy suburban world, uh, is the answer to how do I live missionally uh, within the suburban setting? Uh, that there is, you just painted the picture really well, that there is brokenness, there is loneliness, uh, there is comparison. Everyone's trying to put up the veneer, if you will. <laughs> They're trying to put up the... I think you mean velour. The velour. Yeah. And, uh, and that uh, some way we have to break through that in our own lives, but in the helpfully helping the li- the people in our neighbors and our churches uh, do that well. And so she's going she's gonna to hold up hospitality and community uh, as difficult, but also the answer and the key. And so I, you know, we wanted to put this in front of you uh, and say how, if you're one of these people like us who live in the suburbs, uh, how do you, how do you view the suburbs strategically as your mm, mission field? That's a good question. Kind of learn it. And, uh, and what do you, what are some steps you can take? So you can find that article at our Facebook page, the common good radio show coming up next after the break. Uh, we're going to talk about an article from Missio Alliance ca- saying that the hypo politicization, I got that wrong again. Politicalization? Oh boy. I I can't even do velour and veneer, so I think you're on your own. The American shirts. (laughs) We're going to talk about that next year on the comic. Or are we? (laughs) AM 1160, hope for your life.
Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here, and after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was, and it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. In this next hour, we're going to talk about politics in the church. We're going to talk about preaching, and then we're going to do a little bit of rapid fire. Coming up next on The Common Good. Welcome back, everybody, to The Common Good. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Oh, now you're giving us a salute. They still can't see us, you know. If I knew that every action was going to get a play-by-play, oh, I would salute the I, way. I, I would have thought it through. Feel like you were saluting to me, so that felt that was nice. Yeah, I was wanting to go with tip of the hat, and then I called an audible and went salute. Yes. This is not groundbreaking <laughs> commentary. No one cares. I do. I was thinking about bowing, and then okay. I no, I wasn't. And uh, the same way that your picture out in the hallway, I still like to bow to it when I come in. <laughs> Don't tell people that. <laughs> Uh, it's true, though. You're not the only one who does it either. It I feel I feel, uh, I feel attacked. <laughs> I'm more mocked, yes. You can find I, I didn't put the picture there. <laughs> you can find us on Facebook. Maybe we'll put up a picture of that picture again. Once a week, just go to put that picture up there. Just as a reminder. You can find us at the Common Good Radio Show on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcasts. Uh, subscribe, rate, review. We are grateful for those of you who do. Uh, I am, uh, let's talk politics in the church. The hypopolitization. <laughs> no? Did I get it wrong again? Yeah, I think you did it right. All right. The hypopoliticization. Well done. Thank you. So let's talk about that. And so this article at Missio Alliance by someone named Seth Richardson, uh, he talks about uh, that the issue facing the church is not actually hyperpoliticization. <laughs> <laughs> It's a legitimately difficult word, in your defense. Are you trying to say it? Uh, let me see. Okay, so I think part of the problem with... Politicization. ...in the church oh, is... Yeah, yeah, is really I don't have any additional thoughts. <laughs> I thought about that gag too much. I didn't think through what I actually wanted to say. Oh, boy. I'm just going to do that for the rest of the show. Is that okay? <laughs> that was really funny. Thanks. <laughs> so usually it's it's the hyper portion of this that that we uh, say the church uh, when we say hyper politicization, we're saying of the American church that that there's too much politics that it's over functioning, and that the answer for that the impulse is to create distance between politics in the church that in essence we need less politics and we've said that here i've said that on this show today that that we need less politics but what the author here seth richardson wants to say is that in fact the the problem is not hyper politicization it is hypo 
uh, politicization and uh, of the American church. So what does he mean by that? He actually says that the Christian political witness is not over, but under-functioning and underdeveloped. I think that's the key word is underdeveloped. He says, our crisis is an underfunded imagination for faithfully living out the politics of King Jesus. Let me keep going. Christian political political witness is not over, but under-functioning and underdeveloped. Thus, the over-identification with part and ideology is not the disease itself, but a symptom of a deeper lack of meaningful alternative. Hmm. For too long, he writes, Christians in the United States have been pumping in a partisan supplement to make up for our political lack. This means that the remedy, rather than simply distancing our witness from partisan ideology and then critiquing it, is developing the capacity for Christian communities to embody a particular thick and local political witness. The remedy is raising our consciousness for how God is renewing the world through our life together under the Lordship of Jesus, increasing our effort to understand how our allegiance to King Jesus reshapes how we relate to power, relativizes our tribal commitments and redefines the ends to which we aim our lives. There is so much there. What do you just think of his overall premise uh, saying hyper is not the problem. Hypo is the problem. I, I think he's spot on. I have to admit, I'm always a little frustrated when people say so much better what I was feeling. Yes. <laughs> That's why I wanted to read this article. Because we, like, yeah. And we've danced around it a couple of times in the last six to eight months, but man, never before. I don't know who wrote this. Who Seth is this? Richardson is okay. His name. So I don't know much about him. I, I like Missio Alliance. I like a lot of what they say. I know that there there tends to be a lot of Anabaptist writers, and so plenty of people will feel like the Anabaptist posture and ethic when it comes to politics, they might diametrically disagree with mm-hmm. the starting premise. So I would ask people that maybe already feel that way to suspend what would that. Be that Anab- if you could Reader's Digest version, the Anabaptist. View. Uh, um, I don't think I want to speak on behalf of Anabaptist. Okay. That's, that's <laughs> probably not fair. Because I'll probably fair. butcher it. But okay. Okay. yeah, I think you could probably. Yeah, I don't want to. It's too simplistic. I don't. I don't want to do Understood. what I think he's accusing Understood. us of doing with politics to their particular denomination. But Look at what, you showing restraint. I'm well trying. Done. I'm well really done. trying. I'm not really known growth. for that. Uh, it's growth. <laughs> um, the next heading, though, where it says ethics cannot be separated from politics. In part. This begins by challenging the presumption that ethics can be separated from politics. This presumption is often implicit in the laudable attempt to disentangle Christian prophetic witness from partisan ideology. So just even that statement, mm-hmm. prophetic witness from partisan ideology. This is often and we've um, I, I'm sure both of us have been on the receiving end of some eye rolls when we try to differentiate political from partisan. Yep. I think this author is making a brilliant case for why that distinction is so important. Because we don't we and I and again he's saying it much smarter than I could we at the very least muddy the waters and probably even worse mm-hmm. sanitize the gospel to assume that it doesn't have political implications which I think then by default sort of subtly communicates that the the modern Christian has no need for any political engagement or discourse mm-hmm. or opinion and to say I'm just going to worry about submission to King Jesus maybe they wouldn't even mm-hmm. say it that way just give me my nice church attendance and my small group and my Bible study. And I'm going to leave politics out of it. That disentangling, I don't think, is an option Jesus leaves for us. Yeah, it's very true. I love this. His last, uh, how he closes up. 
Uh, it says the remedy is repentance. Becoming more political as Christians looks like integrating Jesus's cross-shaped love into all aspects of our personal and social existence. Becoming more political is the effort to align both our life together and public witness yeah. with the self-emptying, non-grasping power of King Jesus. Becoming more political means our responsibility to others, especially to the marginalized and hurting, is not defined by tribal loyalties or self-preservation, but by how Jesus has made us members of one another. Becoming more political as Christians, uh, he says, then the name for this kind of reorientation is repentance. There's no participation in the politics of King Jesus apart from uh, repentance, both personal and communal. That right there, there's so much. Now I love, I'm looking over at you while I'm talking and you're just underlining and starring because there's so much good stuff here. Can I read a little more? Yeah, exactly. you okay. want to. That's this, why this, this is better than what yep. you or I could say. Uh, the idea is that our witness will be more effective as long as we can demonstrate our ethical critique, usually of a party leader like the president, is not tainted by political bias. But ethics are not free-floating ideals easily accessible to all, quote, reasonable people. Ethics always live within an entire way of life ordered under a vision for the good. Maybe someone would say common good. <laughs> Think about how the Ten Commandments are inextricable from the entire life of Israel and worship of God. The point is that without a meaningful alternative vision to partisan politics, our prophetic witness against unjust policy or ungodly leaders will continue to register within the existing antagonisms, no matter our insistence otherwise. Mm. I Can we get this guy on the show? I, I think add him to the list. Jeez <laughs> Louise. Ah, that's really that's really uh, intriguing because I me. think you and I both feel strongly that we want to see the church. I think here, I'm going to speak for myself. Okay, I care less about who people are voting for in the next year and more about how the church and individual uh, Christ followers uh, do this whole political thing. <laughs> that yeah. was put really well, wasn't it? <laughs> I'm I'm more concerned about uh, this lack of partisan politics and, and following King Jesus as he talks about and allowing that then to inform our politics because I don't think our churches in general are in good trajectories right now to do this well. And I think he brings up a lot of great points uh, about how we can do politics well in the next year, but all, you know, beyond that going forward. And he, and he talks about repentance here at the end. He says the name of this kind of reorientation is repentance. Yep. There's no participation in the politics of King Jesus apart from repentance, both personal and communal, yep. which again, I realize is not like a super popular thing to talk about, but what, what a like wise pastoral again, it's, it's thick. So I, I would encourage you to go to the Facebook page, read it, read it for yourself. Get a couple of other people together and pick it apart because I think it's uh, at the very least there's there's some really um, important things I think to wrestle with. Yep, hypopoliticization. I got it wrong again. I'm going to say hypo politicization. There it is. Nailed it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry, my voice changes when I use multi-syllable words. <laughs> Coming up next, we are going to do a segment we enjoy called Rapid Fire, where we tackle a bunch of different stories uh, all in a short amount of time. Coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Thursday evening. It is almost the weekend, and uh, we can see it. We can see it. And you take Fridays off, so it's like the start of your weekend. I mean, you don't <laughs> take Fridays off from radio, but it's like your pastor time off. Yeah, it's also, I feel like air quotes over time off should be uh, there in order, because my 
I don't know why I just made this like confession hour. Like I'm, I'm really not. <laughs> Rapid fire. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> the segment where I just confess my deepest darkest yes. fails. Uh, I would enjoy that uh, I'm not great at time off, even when I you say I'm taking time before. off. Yeah. You have said that before, but uh, it, good luck tomorrow. <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Uh, but we do have a show to do, so don't take too much time off. Deal. Uh, we've introduced a segment here over the last couple of weeks uh, called Rapid Fire, where sometimes uh, we find stories that can, most of the time we have stories that can, we think can take up the whole segment for us to talk about. But sometimes there are fi- stories mm-hmm. that we find interesting, but we go, man, I can't do nine minutes, ten minutes on that. Uh, and hence was born Rapid Fire, where we hence just was born. do My a goodness. couple stories at once. And so let's do this. The first one is this. It's Super Bowl Sunday coming up. Did you know that the San Francisco 49ers, there is a coach on their team named Katie Sowers, who is going to become the first woman to coach in the Super Bowl. I did know that because I'm the one that posted this link. You know why I knew this? Because there is a commercial that plays often that introduces her. Oh, really? Yes, yes. It's for, uh, I don't remember what it's for. But Wait, do you still watch regular TV? I do. <laughs> I think for a second I was like, commercials? These Where? commercial <laughs> things you speak of. What are these? So it says this, history will be made in Miami. Uh, Katie Sowers, an offensive assistant coach with the 49ers, will become the first woman uh, to coach uh, to head to the big game. Did you know they're not allowed to say Super Bowl if you don't have it licensed? You have to say the big game. Do you remember when churches were getting sued? Yes. There was like a really big, I think they've actually pulled back on that, but I remember you, churches were putting like on their signage, Super Bowl party, and there was this big, massive I threat. I remember that. And you could get around it by like spelling it differently, so I think we put... I think I, I think I actually did the sign myself. I was like, come on by Sunday for the S-O-O-P-E-R-B-O-L-E party. <laughs> That's awesome. You'll hear a lot of radio stations right now will do what this article is in called just the big game. Hmm. And uh, so anyway, uh, feels like uh, feels like a great step, right? Uh, having that it's taken this long for there to be a woman coach. But we see now like the San Antonio Spurs, they have uh, their head assistant coach is a former WNBA player, woman player. And uh, I read the other day that for the first time, a major league baseball team hired a woman coach. So this seems to be uh, that wall seems to be slowly breaking across the sports world. Do you think it actually is? Oh, I, Yes, but we're not. There's that's not going to be a quick break. Oh yeah, I'm not saying uh, quick, but do you actually think that it is a uh, a trend that will gain momentum as time goes on? Uh, I will caveat this with: it will be very interesting to see how long it takes for a major sports team to hire a woman head coach. Mm-hmm. So that will be the interesting test of this. I think assistants are great, and in fact, the head assistant coach of the San Antonio Spurs, a lot of people think, will be the first woman head coach. In professional sports, but we'll see if it happens. That is Becky Hammond. I think her name is oh, Becky Hammond. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Um, Interesting. So, anyway, rapid fire. Second story. Uh, you posted this one. 2019, more Americans went to the library than to the movies. Hmm. Uh, it says, uh, according to a recent Gallup post uh, poll, visiting the local library remains by far the most common cultural activity Americans engage in. Uh, I'm wondering if you are surprised by this. I'm very surprised, actually. Were you surprised? Uh, yeah. Although then you start thinking the library's free, right? <laughs> and so when I had little kids, I don't know if you and your wife do this. When I had little kids, especially when it was cold out like this, 
I went to the library all the time. Oh, you did? All the time. What, like what for what kind of things? Not even for organized stuff. Just to get out of the house. It was like, really? hey, let's go run around. The Downers Grove <laughs> Library, so Naperville Library probably has this too. The Downers Grove Library was set up in such a way where it wasn't just lines of books. Like the kids area was pretty play oriented. Okay. And so it would be like, all right, guys, let's go to the library. And it was like, it was like getting out of the house. And so on that level, it doesn't surprise me, but I don't. I mean, is the takeaway also here that, pe- that people are watch are reading more than they're watching movies? I'm not sure about that. But. I think that's part of the takeaway. I think there's certainly well, we, okay. So we posted this a few days ago. I want to give a shout out to uh, to some of these responses on our Facebook page. We do actually read these. Um, <laughs> so Pamela said, "Movies cost an absurd amount, and the quality mm-hmm. has gone down disproportionately. When everyone has streaming for cheap at home, why go out? No surprise. So not surprised at all." Shana said, "I love both." The library is cheaper, though. There you go. Um, so Mel Booth, she said, they're both equally valid places to go. This article reads as though one is better than the other. I think that's interesting. I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Jenkins says, is this number reflecting college students? I don't know that. <laughs> Patrick Fisher said, I know I did without a doubt. Um, Jason said, this is fantastic. Kyle has a person hugging a heart. <laughs> <laughs> Thank so you, I, think, I think that's good. Um yeah, I think it's a really interesting commentary, though, on in a lot of ways, there's a there's a couple of things happening in uh, like mainline Hollywood where we're seeing now some movies are getting picked up um, by by Netflix for an insane amount of money. Um, I just listened today, yesterday, Adam Stanberg's new Lonely Island thing got is, is now the record for uh, really? uh, getting picked up at Sundance. Um, by 69 cents, by the way. Like the previous record, they just upped the price tag by 69 cents to break the record. That's awesome. Uh, so I think it's shifting. I think the center of gravitational power in Hollywood is shifting yeah. a good deal. And I think um, I grew up with a really, really great library. Naperville has a great library. Yep. We Downers go, Grove does too. Yeah. My kids are so little, we're going mostly for the toys. Yes. Like we just exactly. run around and have fun. But uh, I, I, I don't know. I think... I think Mel's right. They both are equally valid, but I like seeing the shift. I think it's important. All right. You might have read further down, but if you haven't, don't read down. Here you go. Okay. I won't read it. Uh, Blank report visiting the library nearly twice as frequently as blank do. Uh, Dogs and cats. No. No. Women report visiting the library nearly twice as frequently as men. Oh, really? Surprising. That's not surprising? Uh, I'm playing into male stereotypes of men don't read books. So I was just kind of joking. Wait, is that Tongue a male stereotype? Cheek. Yeah, I think so. That Tongue men don't read books? I read a lot of books. Do you? I do. It's the best thing you've read in the last year. I read two full David, 400-page David Baldacci books in Mexico. Wow. Total mindless stuff that I love. Oh, really? Yeah. Also, not surprising, This is. we'll close with this one. Uh, libraries are visited, visited most by adults in low-income households and least by adults in high-income households. Oh, so that's a whole other... See, we yep. could do a whole segment of this, because now I have a whole bunch of other questions. We'll do it another time. Rapid fire. Beep, beep, pew. <laughs> Last one, and this is just for straight humor, because you posted this one. You got to see the picture. Please go to our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. The ultimate bad hair day. Woman ends up in hospital after, quote, confusing builder's foam... With her hair moves. <laughs> I don't know what to do with this. Except to say, Eve, all the way down to the look on her poor face. You added it to rapid fire. You, I mean. It is the most ridiculous picture. Oh when, you, when you put this out there, I really laughed hard. But Oh, did you? I did. <laughs> I, at her expense, probably. Can you just imagine, though? Because Builder's Foam expands pretty quick. Clearly. And it's, yeah. It's clearly in her entire, it wasn't like a little bit in her hand. It's clearly 
all up in there. I feel badly because there's there's little chance they're not going to have to shave that woman's head right there. Because that hardens like concrete. Yeah, that she is. was so distraught. But you've got to see the picture at How our Facebook alarming page. must that be? You're getting ready. You're looking in the mirror. Just walk walk yourself through that yep. narrative. You're like, oh, no. And all of a I mean, <laughs> Harold, fire the car up. We're going to the hospital. And we've all done things like this. Not, not like this. Not like that, but dumb things where you've just. Oh, yeah. You've just done something that, by the grace of God, doesn't end you up in the hospital or all over Facebook. Every day for me. I know. It's just where you go, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, oops. And you're like, yeah, I probably, if that had gone just a slightly different, I could have burned the house down or electrocuted myself or something. That's true. And uh, this poor lady was not so lucky. So you could go find her uh, picture at the Common Good Radio Show. If you laugh, then something bad will probably happen to you. So. I did not see you taking that turn. Can I close this going back to the to the library one, how they end this? Because one of the points here is that trips to amusement or theme parks and zoos are the least common activities on this list. And they so they go, congratulations to all you librarians out there. Keep fighting the good fight. Pour one out for the zookeepers, though. It appears they may not be long for this world. <laughs> Pour one out for the zookeepers? That is a funny article. That's I haven't funny. been to the zoo in a long time, though. That is funny, the way they end that. So, anyway, that is rapid fire. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> pew, pew, pew. Pew, pew, pew. Now, that's more like stinky. Yes, yes. Coming up next, <laughs> we are going to discuss a tweet as pastors that says, Is it okay for you to use old sermons? That's what we're going to discuss next here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside the two kids, my name is Brian Brom. Are you okay? I got the giggles, man. Oh, man. Is this rest, the rest of the segment? I think be... so. If people can see what goes on in between our segments, and then uh, it yeah, it's often probably best that us, they don't. It will often leave us laughing into the next segment. Oh, boy. And I just got caught there. But I'm good. I'm a professional. I'm a radio professional. <laughs> Who are you trying to convince right Myself. now? Myself. <laughs> Welcome to Gigapalooza. And our bosses. Oh, boy. Yeah, touche. Do, do you think they're convinced? Although, do you do remember at that one conference, that one nice lady came up to us and called us the laughing pastors that is true so now i'm just playing into it do we how do you feel about that title i liked it oh I liked yeah it made me feel good oh all right and then every time i listen back to us i go we do we laugh do. a lot <laughs> wow we do laugh a lot i wonder if that's weird for people like in our churches because we don't typically uproariously laugh yeah. in sermons i'm right? really dour and dark in yeah i heard i know <laughs> everything feels like uh the end of the movie gladiator it's very <laughs> raspy gladiator. yeah that whole speech he gives <laughs> You turn yeah. Australian for some reason? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> People don't even know this is me on the radio. It's like, oh, he <laughs> says his name. But Sounds it's like not a Australian. completely different person. Our voices are a good deal different when that we preach, true. which is interesting. Pastor voice. Speaking of preaching. Let me tell you about uh, something going on with our friends at In Touch Ministries. Oh, right. <laughs> the new year is underway. And our friends at In Touch Ministries want to bless you uh, with a complimentary wall calendar called Blessed to be the Church, featuring Charles Stanley's original photography of churches around the world. An inspirational Bible verse from... What are you doing over there? No, just wait. All right. From Jesus's... I can, I know what you're going to do. From Jesus's Sermon on the Mount and a motivational quote from Dr. Stanley, accompany each photo. Get yours today absolutely free at 1160hope.com slash contest. And everyone who signs up will be entered to win a copy of the Charles Stanley Life Principles Bible. Sign up today at 1160hope.com slash contest. 
complimentary. <laughs> I, mis- I misspoke it again. No, I don't think you did that time. I gave it more of a complimentary <laughs> instead of complimentary. Are you thinking of a churro? Is that what you're I was in Mexico last week, yes. If that counter came with a complimentary churro. Oh, that'd be great. How do we make that now happen? I'm hungry. <laughs> oh, that's fun. And, uh, that's fun. <laughs> that's fun. Uh, so, talking like the church lady now. <laughs> you and I are both pastors, as we've said over and over again. One of the benefits of that is we get to write sermons. We get to preach sermons on a regular basis. And so interestingly, on Twitter, uh, just yesterday or today, uh, Nadia Boltz-Weber uh, she tweeted this, and uh, it'll be interesting to see you and I come also uh, from currently different uh, preaching prep styles. You do it uh, with a group of other people. It's kind mm-hmm. of the way community works. I think it's fascinating and wise. Uh, myself, on the other hand, tend to be much more. I write my sermons. And you're and, a bit of a loner, Dottie, uh, a rebel. <laughs> not uh, and not always uh, is that my preference, but it kind of the way it works. And so she writes this. Fellow preachers, I'm always amazed how often I'll find something new in a text I've preached on countless times. But sometimes I feel like an old sermon already captured an idea better than a new one could. What are your opinions about preaching sermons from previous years? So something that I think we've both probably wrestled with. And uh, so I would love for you to answer her question first, and then I would be glad to. So ultimately, her question is, what are your opinions about preaching sermons from previous years? So there's a couple. Actually, there's a a lot of really interesting responses. Um, One guy named Jared McKenna said sermons can be like recipes. No one wants to eat the same thing every night. Mm -hmm. But if the ingredients are fresh and it's what will nourish those gathered around the table, everyone loves a favorite dish, especially with a little spice. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of metaphors there. (laughs) I'm not entirely sure um, where that all lands. But uh, um, so Rabbi Danya Ruttenberg also said, uh, if it still feels like the truth you need to offer now and the people in the room haven't heard you say that thing, uh, then in my opinion, it's fair game. Mm. What I think is interesting is when it comes to like musicians, um, if you go to pay to see a musician, mm-hmm. you know, on tour, you you almost always want them to play the hits, right? That like there's true. almost this like collective sigh where I'm like, I'm gonna try a new song. You're like, no, play the classics. But if you go to see like a comedian, you don't want any old stuff. Very true. I, I want only new jokes, and I think that's really interesting. And and there is sometimes this pressure. Um, and, and some of it's probably appropriate. Like, ah, you used that illustration a year ago. Or you already told that story. There, it can feel like a... And people don't know how difficult that is the more you preach. <laughs> right, right. That's true. And sometimes it's accidental. Sometimes it's yep. like a just a, a line that's, you know, that's not like a, a big meaty part of yep. the message. But yep. you're like, you used that last month. You're like, well, is it still true? Mm-hmm. You know, part of what I really appreciate about writing collaboratively is there's a lot of accountability there to yeah. say, yeah, we did actually just say something very similar to that a month or two ago. Is there a better way for us to frame this or a different direction to take it? So that collaborative piece, I think, is really helpful. When I was writing alone, um, I would often like text people that were sort of lifers Part at the, the church, church like yeah. hey does this story sound familiar have i done this in a lot you know and if they're like i don't know what you're talking about i'm like great good i can still use that we can go with it but even some of that was sort of this internal pressure like wait but if they said yes why why do i feel so yeah it was like rooted in a lot of inadequacy like well i can't tell the same story once i did that i said it four years ago yeah. that, you know that I don't know if you feel that same level of pressure totally and people react differently it's really yeah, right right i did uh 
it was like six or seven years ago, I did a quick series on the 23rd Psalm. And then last year, I did a series on the 20. I kind of brought it back, hmm. did it again. But like for me, six years felt like a long time. And I, I rewrote all the sermons. But of course, you use some of the same like, um, you know, research or whatever else. But uh, it's not like I just went back and hit print to what was from 2012 or whatever. Right, right, right. But some people were like, didn't we do this already? And you're like, well, like six or seven years ago, it feels like you could go back to the 23rd Psalm. It's There's an interesting... Uh, not only do I think we feel this internal pressure, but I think everybody sitting out there in the congregation has a different opinion, um, especially uh, I, I suppose this is where the where the church calendar can be helpful as well. But um, yeah, and, and interesting, somebody in my church or a friend of mine, I forget who I had this conversation with. They actually said to me one day, like, I don't understand why it's out of bounds to preach even other people's sermons as long as you attribute it to them. Hmm. And I was like, well, that feels really out of bounds. Yeah. And they were like, why? Agreed. And I was like, well, it's not your. He's like, as long as you attribute them. And so it's, there, there is interesting. Um, I think everybody's got a different view on this. I have no problem bringing back stuff. I'll just usually acknowledge it. I won't be like, hey, I know we did. Oh, I, I, I think I told that story a long time ago. Some of you might remember. And then but but I think hmm. it works for this. Uh, I do. I have to let it go sometimes. Like, I know that I'm not just reprinting old sermons and preaching because that is a warning flag often. Well, yeah, and it also doesn't it sort of subtly imply that I actually don't believe that the spirit is like doing fresh new things in me and our community, like leaning into that. I know it takes more work, but that's the that's the call. That's the charge. And I think. Part of what does frustrate me sometimes, especially about um, like people who just travel and speak for a living, they typically have five go-tos, yes. aces up the sleeve. And what's amazing to me is often when I'll guest teach somewhere, I'll ask uh, whoever's inviting me, okay, what series are you in? Or what would best yeah. serve you or your community? And they're almost always like, wait, what? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for asking. Bring your like, home run one. Yeah. Uh, but it's, they're usually surprised. Like, yes. no one's ever... I'm like that feels like such low hanging fruit. Maybe I'm just yeah. naive to the way that it needs to work when you travel all the time. Like, hey, I only have time to really hone five. It's which is always amazing to me because in this culture we live in now with podcasts and yeah, right. Is that like that would be gutsy? That's a that's always would worry me. And but like in our church, it's really common apparently. Apparently, so in our church, like once a year, we'll take four weeks and go through our values and talk through them. Uh, so I've done that basically every year for 10 years, but I rewrite them every year. Hmm. Uh, but I'm also aware there might be some people going like, didn't you do this one last year or the year before? And just kind of have to own it and be like, hey, I'm, I'm doing this. And so uh, but I think her point's interesting because not everything new is always better. And so how do you meld those together? And uh, yeah. And, and also, I think you brought up a good point. Like in some ways, uh, we have to be OK with um, with different opinions from different people yeah, on sermon totally. writing, and and I'm not always okay with that, but I think we got to grow in that. Yeah, and I, I think too the you know just to kind of land this plane, yep. um, s- stealing a sermon wholesale from someone else, bad idea. It's not just a bad idea. I, I think it it misses the point that God has placed you specifically yes. in a unique community in a unique time. Um, and a lot of that comes, I think, from pressure, like you were saying with the podcast. People have access to the greatest communicators of all time. Like, yep. yeah, that's true. Yep. But you're here. You've been entrusted yep. to this community, this flock at this point in time. Like, ha- have the courage to say, God, I, I believe, even if I'm not as eloquent as this that's person, great. and I probably won't be, I believe you want to speak in and through me for yep. these people at this time and do the work. And sometimes it'll come out wonky, and and hopefully you're at a community that will give you grace, Absolutely. even when a sermon, you know, just doesn't land the way that you hoped that it would. And this isn't always 100 percent true, but I would say 
everyone I've ever known who has gotten quote unquote caught like just stealing sermons and printing sermons. Yeah, it's usually a red flag for some deeper stuff going on. Yes, that always Absolutely. ends badly. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, and one of our joys, I think, for both of us is preaching, oh, like man, getting that it. benefit to do it. And so, if you're a pastor out there, I think our last charge would be like lean into that and, yep. and remember your calling. Agreed. Coming up next, we're going to end the show. Land the plane the way we always do. Interweb insanity. Coming up next here on the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good. And that music can only mean one thing. Music, whatever it is. Uh, it is uh, <laughs> music, whatever it is. And then I hit the, I hit the microphone. Uh, oh. It can only mean one thing. And that is interweb insanity, where either our producer, John, or our executive producer, Keith Conrad, they find crazy stories from or the interweb. our premier executive... Bob, <laughs> he sometimes weighs in. If he, he is so premier, I've never met him. Mm, his role doesn't exist. <laughs> and so we read these sight unseen. Uh, hopefully they provide a laugh for you. And my partner, Ian, is going to read the first one. I am? Yep. All right. Let's go to Pennsylvania. Two satellites might collide in space 559 miles above Pittsburgh. That feels close. Mm. Much like car crashes happen here on Earth, satellites, especially those operating in low Earth orbit, have the potential of colliding with each other in space with thousands of artificial satellites orbiting Earth. What's an artificial satellite? Uh, One that is not real. I don't know. What? I think it's whatever is man-made. So most of them are artificial. What's technically like wouldn't like the moon, it's satellites around the earth. I'm speaking, I'm out over thousands of artificial satellites. What would be like a organic satellite? The moon, an asteroid that would technically be a satellite, yes, because it's Mm. circling the U.S. Uh, the U.S. That's the earth. (laughs) This world is only the United States for me. Somebody listening is like, hey, man. Uh, all right, where were Making we? Making satellites great again. Let's do yeah. this. Brian, we were having so much fun <laughs> with Sorry. thousands of artificial satellites I with apologize. artificial and natural flavors orbiting Earth. Every now and then, the orbit of one satellite can cross the path of another, and there is a possibility of a collision occurring Wednesday. Space Debris <laughs> tracking company Leo Labs that tweeted debris. I know <laughs> tweeted on Monday that a decommissioned space telescope launched in 1983 and an experimental U.S. payload launched in 1967 would pass within meters of each other. The company predicted that the two would pass within about 30 yards or or less. 30 yards or less of each other, 559 miles above Pittsburgh early Wednesday evening at a relative speed of more than nine miles per second. You know, we're sitting on 4 million pounds of fuel, one nuclear weapon, and a thing that has 270,000 moving parts built by the lowest bidder. Makes you feel good, doesn't it? (laughs) Next one's out of South Carolina. Sanctuary seeks piggy cuddlers to socialize rescued swine. Where do I sign? A South Carolina animal rescue group put out a call for piggy cuddlers to help 100 rescued pigs learn to be comfortable with comfortable with humans for their new lives as bacon pets. Pets. (laughs) Are you kidding me right now? (laughs) Was that real? (laughs) You're not joking. That was like a real joking. Were you? Yes, I was. Are you just hungry? No, I was joking. (laughs) (laughs) Just trying to get you. Oh, Costner said. It looks like it got you. The sanctuary is currently in the process of finding new homes for the hundred pigs as family pets. 
spider pig, spider pig, does whatever a spider pig does. Can he swing from a web? No, oh. he can't. He's a pig. Look out. He is a spider pig. Oh, Homer. That's funny. You know, I played flute in Piggy Cuddlers one summer. And, uh, no, okay. <laughs> I do appreciate that you think I actually thought it was a pig. I did because you were laughing so hard I at know. it. I was so excited to so, do that. Is it, are you laughing because you're actually sad about something? No. <laughs> oh, okay. oh, was that off air? That, that conversation was, was off air. Off Whoops. Air. Had to, sorry about that. I'm looking to my own soul. <laughs> uh, all right, Indiana. Corona beer virus searches suddenly spike on Google after deadly coronavirus no. outbreak. This can't be real. As news of the coronavirus outbreak continues to travel across the world, people are understandably worried about what could happen to them. Naturally, there have been many articles, live blogs, and news bulletins about the virus, which is now spreading from person to person and is thought to have reached beyond China. This lethal strain of coronavirus is suspected to have been originated from seafood and uh, meat in markets. <laughs> what? Meat in markets? He just misspelled meat. Yeah, that's a that's a typo, right? Yes. That's not mean great. We're not going to meat in markets. <laughs> that's what he's saying. Meat. M-E-A-T. Oh, that's funny. Google trends reveal a spike in searches, coronavirus beer, coronavirus beer with a space, and virus corona beer in the last few days. The searches are primarily coming from Australia, India, Canada, and America. That was really stupid. <laughs> well, we're never going to get through these. we got two more. We got, we got this. All Tennessee. Right. Tennessee man arrested after sparking a joint in court. Oh, boy. A Tennessee man is behind bars after he decided to get stoned in a Wilson County courtroom. <laughs> As the people in the courtroom broke out in laughter, deputies immediately took the man into custody. He's been charged with disorderly conduct and additional count of simple possession. What are you people? On dope? <laughs> yeah, that's one. Oh, we got another short one. That's All right. Good. We oh, got this Florida. Florida. I've missed Florida. Woman. I don't know why I stopped there. Woman <laughs> arrested for asking 911 how to file for divorce. Okay. Gosh, a woman was arrested Friday for misusing 911 by calling and texting the number to make a non-criminal complaint about her husband. Police said Sylvia Shoemaker, 69, used 911 multiple times via text and phone to ask for things like a counselor and how to file for a divorce. They're a fantastic couple. I love them. It does say here, Shoemaker was reportedly highly intoxicated with being questioned by police. Florida never never fails. Can, Can we somehow convince Apple to install a breathalyzer before sending 911? Or you have to solve a math problem or something. You, uh, can you text 911? I also did not know that. I did not know that either. Maybe in Florida they use it so often that now you can text it. So Drunk Shoemaker taught us something today. <laughs> Thank you, Drunk Floridian Shoemaker. <laughs> I not, no comment. <laughs> no comment. That's how we're going to end the show. We're glad you joined us today. Join us again tomorrow, Friday, the end of the week from 4 to 6. Join me and Ian Simpkins tomorrow on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life.